Welcome to the Small Business Commission meeting on February 27th, 2023. The meeting is being called to order at 4.35 p.m. This meeting is being held in person in City Hall, room 400, and broadcast live on SFGov TV and available to view online or listen to by calling 415-655-0001. As authorized by California Government Code, section 54953E, in Mayor Breed's 45th supplement to her February 25th, 2020 emergency proclamation, it is possible that some members of the Small Business Commission may attend this video remotely. The Small Business Commission thanks Media Services and SFGov TV for televising the meeting, which can be viewed on SFGov TV 2 or live streamed at sfgovtv.org. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment at the end of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. For each item, the Commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Members of the public who will be calling in, the number is 415-655-0001. The access code is 2497-167-8739, followed by password 7221. Press pound and then pound again to be added to the line. When connected, you will be, in mute, you will be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you dial star three before public comments called, you'll be added to the queue. When you are called for public comment, please mute the device that you are that you are listening to the meeting on. When it's your time to speak, you'll be prompted to do so. Public comment during the meeting is limited to three minutes per speaker and an alarm will sound once time's finished. Speakers are requested but not required to state their names. SFGov TV, please show the Office of Small Business slide. Today we will begin with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco. The Office of Small Business is the best place to get answers about doing business in San Francisco during the local emergency. If you need assistance with small business matters, particularly at this time, you can find us online or via telephone. And as always, our services are free of charge. Before item one is called, I'd like to start by thanking Media Services and SFGov TV for coordinating this virtual hearing and helping to run the meeting. Please call item one. Item one, roll call. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson. Present. Commissioner Herbert. Present. President Huey. Uh, here. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Here. Vice President Zuzunas is absent. President, you have a quorum. Thank you. The San Francisco Small Business Commission and Office of Small Business staff acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Please call item two. 
Item two, approval of legacy business registry applications and resolutions. This is a discussion and action item. The commission will discuss and possibly take action to approve legacy business registry applications. Presenting today, we have Richard Carrillo, legacy business program manager with the Office of Small Business. And welcome, <laughs> welcome Richard. Good afternoon, President Huey, Vice President Zizunas, commissioners, city staff, members of the public. I'm Richard Carrillo, legacy business program manager. I would like to acknowledge Michelle Reynolds, who's not here today with the Office of Small Business. Michelle was instrumental in helping review, collate, and process the legacy business registry applications before you today. SFGov TV, I have a PowerPoint presentation. Before you today are three applications for your consideration for the legacy business registry. <clears throat> Each application includes a staff report a draft resolution, the application itself, and documents from the planning department. The applications were submitted to planning on December 21st and heard by the Historic Preservation Commission on January 18th. Item 2A is La Mahor Bakery. The business is a bakery founded in 1993 in the Mission District within the limits of the Latino Cultural District. La Mejor Bakery is considered, considered an anchor to the Latino community. The business specializes in breads and cookies baked with exquisite care and accommodating the seasons and holidays. In recent years, La Mejor Bakery has also become an information hub for Spanish-speaking customers and fellow business owners. Most of the regular customers are Latino and many are in the United States alone working to support their families who are living in Latin America. For many, the business has become an important connection to the culture that they left behind. Through open doors and delicious pastries, La Mejor Bakery has continued to serve the mission and the Latino community. Without bakeries like, like La Mejor, the mission would not be a Latino neighborhood. The core feature tradition the business must maintain to remain on the legacy business registry is bakery. Item 2B is Peña Pachamama. The business is a magical world music restaurant dedicated to Pachamama, the living mother earth. Comprised of a restaurant, bar, and performance space, Peña Pachamama is a site of communi community gathering, multi-ethnic entertainment, and organic and plant-based cuisine. The business was officially established in 1995 but has a history dating back to 1991 and earlier as a pop-up at the Cowell Theater and in the Fort Mason Event Center. With a permanently established home in North Beach, Peña Pachamama creates a little piece of South American carnival all year long with weekly performances by great musical groups, musicians, and dancers. Although Peña Pachamama is technically less than 30 years old, it still meets the requirements for legacy business registry because the business has significantly contributed to the history and identity of North Beach and San Francisco and if not included in the registry, the business would face a significant risk, risk of displacement. The business's lease has ended and the business is concerned about a rent increase and not being offered a new lease. The Legacy Business Program's rent stabilization grant could be helpful in securing a new long-term lease. The core feature tradition the business must maintain is restaurant featuring entertainment. Item 2C is Tony Nick's Cafe. The business is a cocktail lounge that was founded by Antonio Nico in 1933 after the repeal of prohibition. 
making it one of the first repeal bars in North Beach. At the time, food was required to be served with alcohol, which led the business to include cafe in its name, which was originally Tony Nico's Cafe. In 1949, the bar was remodeled, adding a stylish bar canopy, the unique checkerboard wooden wall tiles, and wall mural by local artist Nadine Torrance, all of which still exist at the bar today. The original Tony Nick's neon sign is one of the oldest neon signs in North Beach. Tony Nick's Cafe is the perfect hideaway for an intimate rendezvous or a private oasis to unwind with friends. The business will bring you back to an era of friendly and professional bartenders, ice cold beer, delicious cocktails, and drinks served just the way you like them. The core feature tradition the business must maintain is bar. All three businesses met the three criteria required for listing on the Legacy Business Registry, and all three received a positive recommendation from the Historic Preservation Commission. Legacy Business Program staff recommends adding the businesses to the registry and has drafted three resolutions for your consideration. A motion in support of the businesses should be framed as a motion in favor of the resolutions. Thank you. This concludes our presentation. We're happy to answer any questions. There are business representatives in the room, possibly online, who would like to speak on behalf of the applications during public comment. Thank you. Um, commissioners, any questions or comments? Okay. Um, so now we'll open it up to public comment. If members of the public just want to line up and then um, come take turns and speak, that would be great. Hi, um, we're Eddie and Quentin Navia from Pena Pachamama. And Pena literally means a circle of people or people coming together. And every Pena in South America is dedicated to someone. So we dedicated it to Pachamama. Pacha in the ancient indigenous language, it means earth. Mama, kind of universal for mother, so Pachamama. Mother Earth. And um, before we opened Pena, we were touring musicians. And that was a very happy life. But when we opened, when we signed the lease for this historic location, my heart sunk because we were on such unfamiliar ground. Even Officer Crisp from the Central Police Station in North Beach, who, who knew our musical group, he came to us and said, um, you both don't know what you're getting into. Try, try to get the landlord to give you your deposit back. But, you know, we were musicians journeying unknowingly into the restaurant business, and we didn't know that it's such a high percentage go out of business, so we kept struggling. Um, but when we began to look at everything like a performance, the, the kitchen became backstage, and the food became props, and, and the, the, uh, our, our dancers became our waitstaff, and everything was a performance, and then it, it was more familiar. And I think the unique quality of a penya is that you can see a performance at a very intimate level, but you can still be eating and drinking and hopefully get up to dance. And, and one customer even said, I feel more at home here than in my own home. But 
when Prohibition came in 1918, all the restaurants in North Beach went out of business, and the only way they could survive was to sell illegal alcohol. So four um, honest restaurateurs turned bootleggers <laughs> opened the space we were in, and uh, it became a speakeasy. And uh, w uh, later, though, after Prohibition, it became this beloved Italian restaurant called Emilio's. And one day in Pachamama, the last living child of, of the, these bootleggers came in. And she was in her 80s, and she brought her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren. And, and um, so we made an Emilio's day. And she, she took to the stage, and she, she told the stories about the speakeasy and all the famous people who came. and and. Uh, and uh, stories about her dad, who was Pom Pompeo Lunardini, Emilio Pacini, uh, Tommaso Laconi, and, uh, and she said, Emilio's was long dark and forgotten until this South American composer and his wife came and found the magic, and life returned once more to a place now called Peña Pachamama, then she said, she heard her dad whispering in her ear, I like what they're doing here. So we are so grateful to everyone for support and for this consideration to be uh, included in the Legacy Business Registry. <laughs> Thank you. Would anybody else like to come up and provide comment? I wasn't planning on speaking, but um, I will speak. When I look back, or when we all look back to 1933, it's a vision for all of us because no one in this room was here in 1933. But imagine the time, the zeitgeist of that time. We're, it, we're coming out of the roaring 20s. We're in the middle of a depression. And Antonio Nico, a newly Italian immigrant, decides to open up a cocktail lounge in the middle of an Italian neighborhood. And Antonio Nico succeeded and then some. He opened in 1933 in December, and in December will be our 90-year anniversary, and you're all invited to the big party. <laughs> um, so he opened in 1933. He kept it till 1951. We did a big remodel in 1949 that was mentioned by Richard earlier. Um, in 1951, he sold it to one of his employees to keep the tradition, the emerging tradition, alive. And Butchie owned it from 1951 to 1999. That's a good run. <laughs> in 1999, he passed. And then the grandson of Antonio Nico uh, purchased it. He took it over. And his name is Mark Nico. You might know him here. Um, and Mark owned it from 1999 till 2022. So I worked hand-in-hand in, hand in lockstep with Mark 
since 2004. And like his grandfather, who sold it to his employee to further the tradition, Mark sold it to me in 2022. And Mark, even though he's sold it, has been just as active and just as committed to maintaining that legacy. So in 90 years, there's been three ownership changes. Sometimes I tell, I tell people, I'm carrying the weight of 90 years on my shoulders. Um, and it is a weight that I cherish. And when you cherish it, it gets a little lighter. Um, I'm so honored to be here. I'm so honored that we were nominated. And I look forward to another 90 years. And I want to thank all of you. So thank you very much. Hello, good afternoon. Gabby Lozano. I'm one of the founders of the Latino Cultural District. Uh, five years ago, I initiated the process for La Mejor Bakery to be on this floor for your consideration. I consider it now a huge honor that I have been here, you know, that I'm here to see it through. Just to give you a little bit of a background in um, the mission area, we used to have about 20 bakeries just along on 24th Street, just along. That happened through the immigration of the Central and South American folks coming through, and so they, they could only work with their hands. So bakery was the first thing. In the case of um, Carmelita, her families are bakers. So the same thing happened to her. She came here, she knew how to bake. Hey, let's open a bakery. Seven days a week, 12 to 16 hours a day. This has been her life since she was a kid. Before, when she was a young person, she used to, baby, she used to babysit for La Reina Bakery's kids who has been around for 50 plus years and also for La Mejor, no, La Mejor, La Victoria, La Victoria Bakery, who has also been around for 50 plus years. So you know how she is part of the Mission District, right? So I am so honored and privileged to be here, and uh, I'm so pleased that she's here to um, be inducted um, so if you can just give it a chance, it'll be a wonderful experience for her. This will allow her business to actually be cemented. At the present moment, we only have three bakeries on 24th Street. This is uh, on correlation to the um, exodus of Latino businesses and families outside of San Francisco due to the high price of living. And so for a business like hers to be cemented in the, in the area would be a magnificent thing of your doing. Thank you. Thank you. Are there any other speakers in, in the room? Are, they any, are there any public speakers on the phone? If there are, please raise your hands. Seeing none. Um, 
Oh, is there an, anyone else on the line for public comment or in the room for public comment? There is not. Okay. Hearing no further callers, public comment is closed. Um, commissioners, do we get to give an opportunity for everybody to speak? Okay. Oh, I have to call you. Sorry, this is my first time presiding over this. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, Commissioner Ortiz. Thank you, President Huey. You're doing an amazing job on your first day. <laughs> so far, it's, it's okay. <laughs> um, I want to start Doña Carmen. what you mean to the community and your business. What people understand in our culture, a bakery is like a social center. It's where people gather, meet, discuss their problems, find solutions to their problems. And what you've done, and I know it's hard, and you're still there, and it's a hard job. I know the hours you do put in and you wake up, and you're always there for community. I appreciate you, and I'm so happy. Que la van a nominar hoy. Gracias por todo. Cae 24, thank you for your support on this. We love you. Thank you for all you do in the cultural district. Doña um, Pachamama, when I was a young valet in North Beach, I learned so much game, so much clecha, you know, after hours, like culturally things that I would have never known existed. I learned so much about our culture, our music, our heritage, how I intertwined. It was a blast to like good times, good times. And I'm glad that we could help you hopefully continue those good times. Tony Nix, again, North Beach, you know, we used to run the parking lot in front of Gino and Carlos. All the retired officers, Brian Ogawa, that rest in peace now, that was his joint. I would never try to keep up with those officers, try to drink with them because I was sleeping in the parking lot that night. So you're you know a staple all three businesses this is frisco you make frisco what it is you make people want to come to the city thank you and you all are the reasons why we used to come to san francisco before we moved here my husband born and raised here in the city but our vacations were always here and we would always make our place way around. But I, I mean, I gotta be careful because I can be on this mic for a long time talking about the significance of you all and your small businesses. They're not small. They may be small in size, but huge in your impact when it comes to the city. People depend on you in ways that I'm not sure you really know. Um, I hope you don't get offended, Mama, but I got to call you Mama. You probably don't quite understand everything, but it's okay. You can feel my heart. I tell you, there's something about when you can walk into a store and you've already put in the hour and the labors and you come in and you just want that hot. Well, well, I can't say it. I own a health and fitness uh, uh, practice, so I got to be careful how I, how I place this on your on your off days. <laughs> 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 
But I just, uh, you know, it, it, it is very uh, warm and welcoming to be able to enter into a place where you have labored with such love. And um, um, I can't say I've been a Pena Pachamamas, but I'm coming just because of the name. That just because the name is Pachamama, I want to say I've been to Pachamama. But um, I just want to say to every single one of you, uh, Tony Nix, your small business is, is so important, and we love celebrating these types of um, um, accepting your legacy business registry. Um, let's continue to, to do what you've been doing. I celebrate you. I thank you. And all good things belong to you because you have all labored in true love. And if your business is anything like the stories you've told, you'll continue for another 90 years. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Vice President Sazunas. Thank you, and thank you, uh, everyone who's in the audience today to come represent your small business, being here, joining us in City Hall. Um, thank you to uh, our staff for really, I know, being hands-on with these applications. I'm really excited um, to see Peña Pachamama here. Uh, Quentin, Eddie, um, thank you so much for being a uh, spot, not just for celebrating your culture, but I mean, this is a renowned venue for multicultural collaboration. Um, I've been to so many shows where they're playing, you know, Arabic music, and it's it's a representative of, of cultures that don't get celebrated in the city as much as they should. So you're such a token um, to, you know, to stay in our city, um, the type of venue that, that you provide for um, for music and, and multicultural collaboration is just so important. So... Thank you to um, our multi-generational legacy businesses and you know our newest reps in the game. It's, it, you are carrying a lot of weight, I, I understand. Um, but we're here to, to join you and to support you and to continue to patronize you. And uh, yes, I wish you luck and the years forward. Thank you. I think everyone else has said um, everything that there is to be said, but I just wanted to thank you all for coming and telling your stories, to having having the courage to come up and, and talk about your businesses, and um, for doing the hard work it takes to keep your businesses going with the unknowns and, you know, all the ups and downs. Um, I salute you, and I congratulate you, and thank you for making San Francisco what it is. So, thank you. So yes, my, um, you know, listening to your stories and um, and feeling your stories is really like one of the best things that um, that there is really about being on this commission is, and I think, um, you know, if there was a way that we could, if we could share those beyond these walls, we have to, you know, get. I don't think people actually understand how much time and effort and love, you know, all of our small business owners and, um, you know, the people who work in our small businesses actually put into their daily lives. Like when we talk about intention and mindfulness and all these wonderful things, these are, you know, every day we walk in with the intention of creating community, of making sure that all the people who walk in through our doors has the most fabulous time. Like not just a good day, but we want them to like, 
leave having had the most amazing experience. How often does that ever happen, you know, that somebody actually cares about you in that way, somebody that you've never met? And I think, you know, that's something really beautiful about our small businesses and of all of you. And thank you, you know, so much for sharing your stories from um, such a such a loving place. So um, this legacy business portion does tend to be very um, feel good. <laughs> and I hope you, you know, will take this back and, you know, share it with um, everybody who you work with and all of your families because you really deserve accolades. So thank you so much for coming tonight. And um, yeah, I think at this time we have to take a, a motion, right? Um, is that what I do? Okay, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> I'll move to approve all legacy business applications. I'll second it. Motion by Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena, seconded by Commissioner Dickerson. I'll read the roll. Commissioner Carter is absent. Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. Commissioner Herbert. Yes. President Huey. Oh, yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. And Vice President Sazunas. Yes. Motion passes. Congratulations. doing okay so far it's been two items and I'm still here <laughs> doing great. let's see uh, next item item three small business survey update this is a discussion item and the Commission will hear initial results from the 2022 small business survey presenting today we have Anashoa Chowdhury professor and chair of the Department of Economics at San Francisco State University Thank you. Welcome. Welcome, Professor Chaudhary. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, really nice to see you all in person. So it's been a privilege to work with uh, the uh, commission on um, the second round um, this, this time. It, it just seemed like years have flown since we started this work in 2020. Um, uh, just for those watching, my name is Anoshua Chaudhary. I'm an um, economics professor at San Francisco State, um, also the department chair. Um, and this, this work was... Um, uh, started with um, President Huey uh, on a phone call, um, and we've come a long way. We've already done two, two rounds. Um, so this particular round, just let me say that this, uh, this has been a teamwork. Um, uh, I, I have been assisted by Tanaz Hagi, who's uh, our um, MS in quantitative economics student. Uh, she's also 
was with us as an undergrad, um, and this is her first year as a master's student. And uh, with constant partnership from President Huey, Huey um, um, Secretary Burnback, and um, um, former President uh, Sharki Laguana. So thank you all for your assistance on this round. Um, just quickly, some acknowledgments. Um, this, this has been pro bono voluntary work for everybody. Um, uh, but I, I do want to acknowledge that uh, the Lamb Family College of Business has a Lamb Larson Community Engagement uh, Research Award that I secured, um, and the funds were used completely to pay for the research assistant. Um, and that's how I was uh, able to support Tanaz in doing all the busy work that goes into this kind of data analysis. Um, so, so at least our student is supported. Um, and I also taught a service learning class where uh, I had three graduate students who did some of the initial interviewing and, and some of the initial um, survey-related work. Um, and uh, this is a classic um, you know, model of community-based participatory research. It's not a high level um, of an academic coming in and doing this from afar. This is something that we've been collaborating with the commissioners and we've been hearing uh, from uh, the small businesses and this is truly a participatory research project. So um, jumping right in, um, I want to go over the motivation uh, methodology, um, uh, provide a small description of, of the current sample that we have, mostly focus on the findings and some recommendations. Um, and this is the initial uh, findings, so I, I, I would love to hear from you, do more discussion, and I will be happy to come back if there are any follow-up questions. So this is a follow-up study to the 2021 survey efforts. In this particular uh, survey, this is the second round, we uh, focused on the state of recovery of small businesses and uh, remaining challenges. Um, when, uh, right after the pandemic started, McKenzie came out with a study about small businesses uh, and, and said that it would take five years for small businesses to recover from the pandemic, partly because small businesses are less resilient. Um, and we've seen many reports that um, small business recovery has been uneven across the United States, um, and, and, and that's due to some places with more complexities um, and more disparities. Um, I want to share with you some voices that uh, we collected a lot of uh, qualitative data this time. This is different from the last round. Uh, we have interview data. We have just qualitative data from the survey. And I wanted to highlight some of these quotes from our qualitative survey. Um, showing that you know, San a lot of people believe that San Francisco has been slow to recover, um, and slower than most other metropolitan cities. And uh, this, this survey might help provide the data, the hard evidence that we need um, to, uh, to get at a lot of the anecdotal stuff that we already know. Uh, 
Um, so the methods that we use are mixed methods. That is, um, we use interviews to kind of get at key issues, and then we build a survey, and, and then we get the survey data, and then we look through the survey. So we did the interviews uh, in the summer of 2022, and then uh, we ran the um, internet-based Qualtrics survey in September and October of 2022, um, and we collected data in eight most spoken languages. We, uh, what was different in this round was also we had some focus policy questions. We asked businesses to give us their opinions on those policy questions. So uh, we got 802 responses. Um, and if you remember back to the initial discussion at the commission about running a survey, this was two years back, um, we weren't even expecting 20, 20 surveys. And from that, we went to the, our first round where, where we collected 500 plus surveys, and now we have, we've gone up to 802. We, um, and we have more in-language surveys now. Um, we did have a little bit um, of attrition towards the end when folks kind of get survey fatigue. So we have 65% completion rate, but that's still pretty good uh, compared to um, survey. Uh, methods. Um, this is just to show uh, the representation of uh, our data. Uh, you can see that um, we, we kind of covered businesses from all across the city, and uh, we even got really good samples from uh, the major commercial corridors. So the darker the picture, the more no number of businesses, uh, respondents we have, and the lighter. Um, uh, the fewer, but we, we did capture all of the commercial neighborhoods. This is a demographic description of the businesses. Um, we, uh, we see on uh, the first pie chart on the left uh, shows uh, the age distribution. We have about 20% businesses in our sample with uh, owners who are 65 and older. Um, most, though, um, are in, in the 36 uh, to the 64 uh, range. Um, as far as ethnicity, uh, we have about 49% uh, of businesses uh, identified as white, 19% um, uh, uh, owners identified as Asian, 5% uh, as um, African Americans, um, about 10% uh, Latinx. Um, and if we look at the gender distribution, we do have um, a, a kind of a even distribution of 48% male, 43% female. We also capture data from um, about 3% owners uh, identified as uh, LGBTQ trans uh, owners. Uh, as, as far as business operations, uh, most businesses, more than 80%, have a single location. Uh, we, we capture 27% legacy businesses, um, and 33% of businesses depend on tourists, but 62% depend on San Francisco residents, 44% on neighborhoods, and about a quarter depend on office workers. So I'm going to jump into main findings. The way uh, we've structured the findings, we want to look at the current impact. Um, 
and then we want to look at the current assistance needed by the businesses to recover. Uh, we will look at the challenges faced during this phase, um, and then we uh, collected some feedback on policy suggestions, and I'll present on that, and then uh, we'll end with some recommendations. So the first, uh, looking at current impact, uh, we continue to see a moderate to large negative impact of COVID-19. Um, we have 87% of businesses who said they still see a negative impact. Um, if, if we look at the impact by sector, this is too small for you to even see, but what I want you to take away from this picture is all through the sectors, you still see a large red there, right? So that means negative impact. But there, are, there is some blue appearing. So there are some people who uh, are reporting positive imp impact, even though it's very small. So on the right-hand side, the blues are some businesses, which is still less than 10% are posting moderate to large positive impact. And these are in the real estate, rental, retail, finance and insurance, professional scientific services, and some accommodation food services. The businesses that continue to experience a moderate to large negative impact on the left are arts and entertainment, administrative and support services, and construction. If you look at um, change in gross receipts, so we asked questions on what were their receipts in 2019 and then what were their receipts in 2022. And we put those side by side, you see that on the higher end of receipts, so more than a million dollars, there are there are less businesses reporting higher receipts, and there are more businesses reporting on the lower end of receipts. So we, we definitely think that uh, overall business receipts have shrunk. And in terms of paid employees, uh, again, the same um, finding that um, more businesses now have fewer employees, and they're actually uh, we see more micro-businesses, that is, businesses with less than 10 employees, um, as compared to themselves back in 2019. And um, looking at current cash on hand, um, uh, the first two columns are 12% uh, of businesses have no cash available, 12% have uh, about one to two weeks of cash, so that's about a quarter of businesses have only uh, a two-week runway or no runway at all, and uh, we see about 24% businesses have about a six-month runway. So what is the assistance that uh, uh, businesses are asking for? Um, before we go into that, what have businesses done to recover? So we, we've seen that um, businesses have reached out for financial assistance, um, mostly federal and local, but also to friends and use their own savings. And I'll, I'll, post, I'll, I'll present those numbers in a bit. Businesses have also pivoted their business operations. More than 25% resorted to things like curbside pickup, online services, online sales, outdoor operations. and. Um, it's worked extremely well for a third of those businesses that pivoted. So it's not like everybody did well as a result of the pivot, but about a third said they did extremely well. So um, jumping into financial assistance, this is, uh, this is a rather involved chart, and I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this. Um, so we asked businesses whether they requested um, assistance from all these different categories, um, and uh, we also asked whether they received 
assistance from all these different categories. And then we put them side by side and uh, looked at what is the uh, gap in how much folks asked for and how much they received to figure out the unmet need. And you will see that all across the board, uh, businesses did not receive everything that they asked for. Um, um, there's a smaller gap in federal loans, but there's a larger gap in local grants. So you know, people didn't really get all the local grants that they, they were asking for. Uh, we also see that there's a very low percentage of businesses, like maybe one in six or one in seven businesses that asked for uh, tax credits. So it could be um, employee retention tax credit or federal tax credits. Um, so we see, we think that there is a huge need, uh, under usage there, and, and there is an opportunity here. Um, I want to point out that 20% of businesses have been using their own savings, and about 58 businesses, 7.2% of our sample, have not received any financial assistance. Um, and why have they not uh, accessed uh, these assistance? We asked a question about what, what are your barriers that prevented you from applying for financial assistance. You'll see that about 20% businesses think that programs were not made for businesses like theirs. Again, there's an opportunity here around information. Um, businesses uh, was not aware of these programs. That's about 16, 17%. Um, businesses find application processes too overwhelming and no time to apply. I, I looked at who would say no time to apply and saw a lot of businesses in the arts and entertainment business that just did not have the time to apply for these things. There's also technical barriers, language barriers. Um, we also asked a question around assistance needed with lease, and this was a more qualitative question. So we um, gathered uh, at least five pages worth of qualitative comments, which we um, um, did a, um, you know, we looked through um, by triangulation, where three people look at, look at it, come up with some themes, and these are the themes that we found uh, most folks uh, about 22% asked for uh, financial assistance, grants and loans. About 17% uh, were asking for reduced rent lease payments. Um, and there was some need for lease negotiations, uh, help with communication with landlords, legal assistance. Um, but a lot of uh, the businesses said they didn't need anything uh, with respect to lease. We also ask questions about assistance needed for business operations, and we see that the most um, uh, need uh, is in increased marketing or sales, and this comes up again and again. Um, also identifying and hiring new employees. Um, and of course, there are um, some businesses, 15% need assistance with online sales, maybe creating websites and apps. Uh, figuring out innovative ways to use their space um, and um, professional development for employees, identifying new supply chain. So then we go into challenges. Um, we gave uh, businesses a range of challenges and asked them to rank the top three. And uh, what came out was um, uh, increase in cost of goods sold was the 
topmost, uh, more than a third of businesses uh, think this is their biggest challenge. About 31% or 32% say dirty, smelly streets is a big challenge. 30% say not enough customers in San Francisco. Almost 30% um, say ability to hire new employees. Um, and so the top seven, uh, in addition to the ones I mentioned, are staffing challenges, supply chain disruptions, lack of parking. So those are the biggest challenges um, identified. Uh, if you look by sector, um, it just looking at accommodation food services, uh, their top three are supply chain disruptions, staffing challenges, increase in cost of goods sold. Um, and if you take uh, health, education, other services like um, uh, salons, um, uh, the, for them parking, hiring new employees, dirty streets are the biggest challenges. Then we ask folks about challenges with safety, crime, and legal. And this, is, this um, shows up like 40% businesses talk about public safety as a big concern. A third of the businesses talk about graffiti and vandalism. 20% talk about retail crime. Um, and, um, you know, in the past, regulatory challenges have been a big issue, but I think relative to that, now the focus is on public safety. So we, um, we mapped out um, how many times uh, businesses have um, experienced crime. And so on the left-hand side, this is um, a map of businesses that uh, had two to 10 times uh, crimes occur on their uh, property. And on the right-hand side, more than 10 times. And you can see that the major commercial corridors show up. Um, for two to 10 times, it's like Mission, Noe Valley, um, Civic Center, Hayes Valley. And on the right-hand side, more than 10 times. Interestingly, again, Civic Center, um, Hayes Valley, South of Market, and, and uh, Russian Hill, Knob Hill, Lower Knob, um, that area. So we did ask, uh, again, did, 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 the cri did all of these crimes, were they reported? And uh, we um, found that um, almost 80% of the time, businesses reported the crime. Okay. Um, I didn't put it on the slide, but I thought I'd just mention it. Um, and then um, ne next we asked, we had asked this question last time around, and we repeated this question. Is San Francisco generally a good place to own a business? And unfortunately, only 22% businesses think that San Francisco is generally a good place to own a business. Uh, the good news is the Latinx businesses majority think that San Francisco is a good place to own a business. So there's <laughs> some good news in that bad news. Um, um, and we see that um, if, if we um, look at challenges by when businesses started, um, legacy businesses were disproportionately challenged by all of these challenges. Um, the pre-pandemic businesses say that they were most affected by uh, unclean streets and not enough customers. I think the newer businesses that were started post-pandemic, they were already used to these things. So then we ask uh, specific policy questions. Uh, should there be more police patrols uh, on bike um, 
and uh, bike or foot in commercial corridors and how would that impact? We asked folks to say, would it be a very negative impact or would it be very positive impact? And we broke this down by zip code. So you'll see that the blues mean that um, these businesses say it's going to have a positive to very positive impact. And you see across zip codes, uh, most folks think that there, it would have a positive to very positive impact. We see some reds appear where um, uh, some businesses said it might have a negative impact. And these are in 94124, which is Bayview, um, 94115, which is Back Heights, Western Edition, 94112, which is Excelsior. Um, the second one we asked is, would more community-led monitoring of street behavior in commercial corridors um, have a positive or negative impact? And you see this, this one has more businesses actually saying it would have a positive impact. We, we have very few, like maybe one or two businesses say it would have a negative impact. And uh, the only one that really, um, uh, I mean uniformly, um, just maybe one or two businesses across uh, the uh, zip codes might say uh, this might have a negative impact, but majority say there's a positive impact. You see the blues everywhere here. Um, the third one we asked is a little bit more controversial. We asked, uh, would, would more active use of street spaces have a positive or negative impact? And you see that there are more reds here. So there's a, a bit of a disagreement about increasing active use of street spaces. And, and I think that might have to do with congestion, parking, cost of parking, and that stuff. So. Again, um, what comes out is the top four needs identified by small businesses are access to grants and loans, improved street conditions, greater marketing and messaging to encourage um, uh, residents uh, to use small businesses and increase security systems and cameras. So the, the first three were actually the same from our last survey, except that the second one was clean streets, now it says improved street conditions. So folks have expanded the need around streets. And uh, we see that the fourth one has got added, which is increased security systems. Yeah, so greater marketing messaging to encourage residents uh, to use uh, more businesses, and there's always something that gets not edited, right? So uh, greater marketing and messaging to encourage residents to support local businesses. So um, again, we uh, looked at these top four needs by business type, and what we see is accommodation, food services, and real estate are asking for improved street conditions, art, art and entertainment, retail are asking for more marketing and messaging um, to increase customers, education, healthcare, and manufacturing are ask, asking for more increased security, and the professional services are asking for more grants and loans. Um, again, uh, disaggregating by ethnicity, uh, we see that um, this is how um, 
uh, uh, owner ethnicities playing out in their asks. Asian and Middle Eastern owners are definitely asking for increased security, and I think this is also to do with where they are mostly located. Very interesting. Um, and interestingly, uh, you know, um, our uh, BIPOC uh, mixed-race owners are asking for more lo loans and grants, and um, white owners asking for more improved street conditions. Kind of interesting finding there. Very. So to summarize our findings, and you can read um, some of the representative comments uh, on the right-hand side, but um, the state of recovery um, is you know, still not looking good. We see businesses making less money, f employing fewer people. 25% uh, businesses have no cash or less than two weeks of cash. 20% businesses are using their own savings. We see the federal tax credits going underused, and more than a third of businesses did not know or did not think the programs were for them. Current challenges, we find these seven as the top challenges. Increased cost of goods sold, deteriorating street conditions, shrinking customer base, inability to hire new employees, staffing challenges, supply chain issues, lack of parking, higher cost of parking, public safety concerns, and retail crime. And the top needs identified, as I mentioned, are these four. Um, and, and then I, I wanted to dive in and uh, see what are people thinking of for the future. And this is a representative quote that I really want to read out. As a small business owner, I'm brokenhearted by San Francisco. Rents are high, we are paying pre-COVID rent, and I have lost over 50% of my clients. Clients that lived in surrounding areas were scared to come into the city due to crime, homelessness, dirty streets. I think about closing up and moving every day. So we asked um, businesses, what are their plan for the, uh, what's their plan for the next year? And 531 businesses um, responded, of which you can see the blue is uh, folks want to move to a new physical location, and the gray is where people want to sell or close. So the gray uh, folks who want to sell or close, 22% uh, of the businesses want to sell or close. And the blue is 9% um, want to move to a new physical location. If you want to, if, if we dive deeper and ask them, where, are you, where do you want to move? So of those 9%, which is 50 businesses, you see um, 54 of percent or 27 businesses want to move outside San Francisco. So we have a bunch of businesses that are still looking at closing or moving out of San Francisco. So um, e even if that is 50 businesses, that's we are losing, losing folks from the city. So um, broad recommendations, invest in safer streets. Most businesses across zip codes think that more Patrol, police patrol, police presence, and community groups will bring a positive impact. Provide technical assistance around sources of financial help and business operations. So I think businesses really need assistance, applying for tax credits, setting up websites and apps, more workforce recruitment and development. Um, more messaging to increase sales, being open is not enough. I think. Um, we need to help businesses uh, attract more customers. 
And then uh, necessary reforms, what came out from a lot of the qualitative stuff is, you know, uh, with the kind of hardship that businesses are going through, um, we, they're still paying into healthcare, they're still paying taxes and fees, they're still uh, delayed on licensing and permits. So these are things that require a, a, a second look. Um, and I, I, I have placed these slides just if you're interested to look at how this current survey is different from the last survey, what, what are some um, comparisons. Um, I'm happy to run through them if we have time, but I just wanted to um, focus on the findings. Um, as I had mentioned before, businesses have expanded their needs from cleaner streets to safer streets and more security. Businesses continue to need technical assistance. Um, and uh, we also asked about communication. How do they prefer communication? And um, it almost seemed like the ethnic businesses were relying on word of mouth, but everyone seemed to prefer a consistent messaging through either the sf.gov website or from emails from the commission or OEWD. So I think we need to work on communication, um, a more consistent communication to everybody so it's equitable. That's it from me. Thank you. Very good. Thank you so much. I've seen this presentation again, and meeting is just so eye-opening. So um, at this time, um, Commissioner, comments? Oh, just sorry, I have to call on people. Commissioner. <laughs> Professor, thank you so much. Today's been a great day. I got laptops, I had a legacy business, and then you come present. Like, is it my birthday or something? Like, this is dope. Um, thank you. You know, your your presentations, they're just they're just great. And the data, I don't know how you do it, but your data is like real raw data that from our perspective, we need, right? Absolutely. This is the data we can use. This is where I go back to the CBOs in my community and be like, look, boom, this is what's real, right? Um, with that said, one of the things is parking, right? And I, I like that and I appreciate that because there's two departments in the city, the SFMTA and city planning. Maybe not city planning so much because they're, it's a new day at planning. But you have these people that don't live here, maybe be a transplant, and they are the decision makers in our city's next 50 years, and their kids probably won't even be here. My kids, my grandkids, they're gonna be here. I'm Frisco first till I die. This is the data parking. I understand like transit first, and I'm putting it on record based on your information, your data. Transit first, no. Because at the expense of somebody's vision, you're eliminating and wiping out small business. And again, and I say it on record, department, not department heads, but these middle management that have the control, that are not elected official or appointed officials, that are dictating the future of our city, never grew up here, weren't born here, don't even live here, and I could guarantee you have never even walked most of these commercial quarters that you have surveyed. So I appreciate 
that so much because that gives me just tools in my tool belt to fight. <laughs> so um, one clarifying question, the street space, you know, that the were they talking specifically on like parking street space or just like street space, like like shutting down the street? like. We actually give examples on use of street spaces as uh, the shared space program. Um, okay. um, and um, maybe I, I think we should. Yes. Uh, so we said. Um, um, look. Um, let me. Let me look for that. It's okay. You you could get back. That's more of my curiosity. I, yes. I did have a comment, and so I saw the Latina Latino population. They're um, they think San Francisco's still a good place to do business, and I noticed that the area code nine, uh, the zip code nine four one one zero, had a predominantly large survey response. Mm -hmm. Can you attribute anything to that? It was just this nicer in the mission to walk around and survey people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we need to walk those uh, zip codes a little bit more um, to gather, uh, get people to... Uh, but it seemed like a know. huge increase this time around. So. This time around, yeah. yeah. We did have a lot more in-language survey. So I, I, I wanted to mention that too, that it really is a good idea to continue to gather the, the language surveys. And I think... Um, it's harder for folks to do those online because sometimes it gets very onerous. I think it's easier to do those by paper. I know it's not, or, or maybe take our iPads and get people to do that. Um, so maybe next time around, there might be some gatherings where there are certain groups of businesses and you just pass an iPad around and have them do the no, survey. I, I appreciate it. I think it works. Um, Director Tang and Carrie, they, they walk the community, at least yeah. our community, and that has high success of disseminating information. Yeah. And I say it to point it out, like, yeah. you know, especially monolingual online, and especially if you get older in age, the technology component of filling anything out. Exactly. Like, you know, I'm, I'm getting at the cusp of that, like, Mm. It's really, really hard now to learn new things, so. <laughs> yeah, and you get distracted too, right? I mean, it's a long survey, and then you get distracted with a phone call, and that's it. But if you're there with somebody right in front of you, breathing down your neck, you're, you're likely to complete it. <laughs> so I think okay. we, we can have different ways of. Yeah. But I wanted to get back to the question you asked. We, so we ask more active users of street space, such as shared spaces, outdoor dining, public parklets, so slow streets, and public mm. art. So we give those examples specifically. Okay. That's good. Thank you, Professor. I appreciate, like I said, I always love when you come and present, and I love your survey. So thank you so much. Thank you, Commissioner. Director Tang. Thank you. So you're saying, Commissioner, that we need a survey parties. <laughs> no, but I just want to thank you so much, um, Professor Chowdhury, for all of your work um, on the survey and the previous one, and of course to President Huey for your leadership in, in this partnership together with, between the Commission and San Francisco State. Um, this data, all, all I want to say is just this extremely helpful for us. Um, we are headed into budget season and just also trying to figure out how we prioritize our work. Just um, again, gratitude to you and your team for all of your hard work on on the survey thank you and we we do have it in in the box folder so um, whenever you need it um, you know President Huey can 
get it to you. Question for, for our staff. Do we have any of the results in our email, the reports? Or not yet? The Dropbox, that's what's going to come to yeah, us. Okay. Mm -hmm. this, this is already available to you. Mm -hmm. I have not um, sent in a report on this yet. I was hoping that after a discussion today, I've shared a draft report, but I, it, I'll send it. in a final report mm -hmm. soon. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Herbert. Thank you. I'm kind of stuck on the white people being concerned yeah. about, the, about the clean streets. Like, what is that about? I, I don't, you know. Was I, that like, I mean, I'm a white person, but I mean, was that citywide or was that in a concentrated area? Or? You know, I, I look at, I think it is, it is to do with the neighborhood and the zip codes and businesses. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it was just a kind of academic thing that I started looking by different categories yeah. and it kind of stuck and so I said you know it'd be fun to put it up there and see what folks think it, uh, sometimes yeah. it's also stereotypical you know and, and mm -hmm. that that lends to the disparity lens that you know things that we believe are showing up in data and so you know do I think BIPOC businesses are hurting more than other businesses mm -hmm. and that's showing up they want all the loans and grants, um, and, and maybe um, maybe some of the white businesses are not thinking so much about cash because they have more access to, or, or they, they know how to access programs, mm -hmm. so they're thinking more of, of things that are not in their control, and so streets are not in their control, so that maybe that's what's showing up top of their mind. That's just my conjecture. But um, I, I think looking at... Uh, owner ethnicity and type of business together might, if you're interested, I can dig deeper. I am interested. I think, <laughs> I think it probably speaks to privilege in general, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, what con the concerns are culturally across the city, which is really fascinating. Uh, yeah. Remember that this is not others are not thinking of this, but in terms of the relative percentage, um, it. That's showing up as a bigger concern for, um, you know, the white owners. Right, mm -hmm. and, and it's not surprising either. Yeah. But. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Um, oh, anything else? <laughs> well, I know, um, Dr. Chowdhury, you're going to be putting together. Um, more a uh, more comprehensive kind of report than just the presentation that we've seen. So I think you know we still have the opportunity, and we'd love to get your input. You know, if after this meeting there should be like thoughts that you want to dig into or consider, like feel free to send those over probably to um, Carrie or um, and she can kind of send them off because I think um, you know that. Seeing it again, it's so interesting because we've been working on this, right, Carrie? And seeing it again in presentation and looking at it, you're like, wow, that is just so interesting, like all of these things. And one of the things I wanted to point out was um, when I, you know, one of my earlier comments was kind of like the percentage, my assumption of um, 
percentage of 35% of Asian-owned businesses took it in language, took the survey in language, and then 51% of, I'm again assuming Latinx businesses took it in Spanish. And I'm like, wow, that is a really high percentage of people who function on a daily basis most comfortably in another language. And like, how amazing is that, that our city is a place that people whose primary language may not be English can come and build a business and be here for many years and support their families and be able to, to build a livelihood here. So, I mean, I could not imagine myself going to any other place that isn't English speaking because that's my primary language and being able to have the confidence, courage, and will to be able to build a business there. So I think that was one of the pieces that to me I was like most proud of and like so proud of being in San Francisco. Um. <laughs> yeah. I know. As as like hard it is, as it is to hear so many of these metrics, you know, it's such an opportunity for us to fight harder and to push for more, right? Um, Vice President Zuzunas. Thank you. You know, I just wanted to, to echo what you just said, President Huey, and um, also what our other commissioners said today of, of our small businesses and, and the role they play. And this data is kind of proving that small businesses are a force for fighting gentrification and displacement, um, and that our commission is, I think this is, this is showing that we are doing our due diligence and fulfilling our racial equity goals and, and creating channels of monolingual feedback, you know? Um, and I, I think that's something to, to note that, that this goes far for, for our goals and, and making sure we're hearing from the most impacted um, constituents. And, and so great job, everybody, uh, with, with that. I just wanted to put that on record. I think this is a good show of of our work that we've been trying to build for for years. Yeah, and I'm going to place all of the qualitative comments unadulterated in the report. Please do read them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I pulled out some really key unadulterated. things. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, I think we can definitely talk a little bit more um, about how this work in particular will, um, will be amplified and how our commission can amplify this work as well as um, moving forward, mm -hmm. how um, our partnership can continue going on for years without as much <laughs> effort, hopefully, on your part. But if we can really streamline, what are some of the things, the metrics, and the data that we would like to see year after year to understand the health and vitality of the small business community and understand you know, what are the major challenges, what are the disparities, and really streamline that process for us so that we can you know, have a really nice pulse of what things are going, you know, where things are headed and how things are going for people, I think. Um, this has been a fantastic partnership, and hopefully, you know, it'll continue, so. Yes, and I, I did bring this up to my dean, an associate dean, this morning, and they were very supportive. Um, so hopefully, we can continue doing this. And I want to expand my circle so that, you know, it's not just me, but many other people 
contributing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, Commissioner Ortiz. Dean and Associate Dean, we love Professor Chaudhary and her <laughs> surveys. Please support her. Small whatever Business she Commission, wants. Yeah, whatever she wants. <laughs> I second that. <laughs> Thank you for your support. It's yeah, been a thank, privilege. Thank you so much. We still have to um, take public comment, so uh, we'll open it up to public comment. Yeah, and I just I, I need to make a quick announcement that WebEx, uh, the streaming service, went down for a little bit. So if people are listening, if they can call back in, you'll be able to provide comment. I believe it's back up. But let's start with any comments from people in the room, if there are. No comments in the room. Let's just give uh, just like one minute for people to dial back in if they had something to say. Okay. <laughs> no? No. Okay. Great. So hearing no uh, further callers, public comment is closed. Thank you very much, Professor Chowdhury. Thank you. Thank you. Next item. Item four, approval of draft meeting minutes. This is a discussion and action item. The commission will discuss and possibly take action to approve the January 23rd, 2023 draft meeting minutes. Um, commissioners, any comments on the minutes? Hearing, uh, oh, now opening it up for public comment. Uh, there are no commenters. Okay. Um, any comments on? Oh, actually, no. I was just going to move to adopt nope. the minute. Oh, okay. Um, hearing no further callers, public comment is closed. Um, commission motion. Oh no. Yes. Anybody want to make a motion? <laughs> to move to adopt the minutes. I'll move to adopt the minutes. And a second. Motion, I'll second that. Motion by Vice President Sissounis, uh, seconded by Commissioner Dickerson. I'll read the roll. Commissioner Carter's absent. Commissioner Dickerson. Yes. Commissioner Herbert. Yes. President Huey. Yes. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Yes. And Vice President Sissounis. Yes. Uh, minutes are approved. Thank you. Next item. Item five, general public comment. This is a discussion item allowing members of the public to comment generally on matters that are within the Small Business Commission's jurisdiction but not on today's calendar and suggest new agenda items. Any members of the public who would like to make comment on items not on the agenda today? Uh, there's, there are none. Um, is anyone on, oh, there's nobody on the line for public comment. Public comment is closed. Next item, please. Item six, director's report. This is a discussion item. All right, good evening, commissioners. Um, so a couple updates here. Um, wanted to share since our last meeting that uh, we have completed uh, the flood disaster relief grant um, as a result of the winter storms. Um, so I wanna really thank uh, my staff, especially Michelle Reynolds for helping us administer this um, unexpected program where we were able to help 100 businesses um, receive grants from the city 
as a result of winter storm flooding. Um, so awards, uh, award letters or notices went out um, just uh, recently. So, um, and most of the businesses uh, were located in the areas where um, you saw on the flood map um, were located within or near the flood zones uh, mapped out by the city. Um, the next thing I wanted to share, you've probably been hearing a lot about this, um, is that uh, there have been many complaints against businesses for not having um, proper permits for their awnings, and this is uh, complaints have been lodged in many parts of the city. So we are working on this issue. This is still ongoing with many different agencies to make this uh, process as smooth and easy as possible for businesses. Uh, there will be an upcoming workshop in person with a variety of, of the permitting agencies in Chinatown coming up on March 6th at 1 p.m. at Willy Wu Wong Playground. Um, and this is because uh, the vast majority of the complaints were actually lodged against uh, Chinatown businesses. But we will be continuing um, our informational um, sessions uh, via recordings that we'll share with other businesses in English and other languages as well. So that will be also forthcoming. Um, Let's see, the other update is that with the barrier removal grants to address, um, to help make businesses more accessible, we have, uh, in, I would say, expanded the program. So I'm very excited to share that um, now we are also going to be reimbursing for labor and design work as long as businesses are um, uh, hiring companies that follow our city's labor laws, including most importantly prevailing wage requirements. And so that is an improvement we're also increasing the um, th the eligibility threshold to include those businesses um, earning $8 million or less in annual gross revenue. So we hope that those will help more businesses come into compliance um, with accessibility requirements and being able to welcome more customers to, to businesses. So it's already available. Um, the websites and the application forms have already been updated, so it's already applicable to anyone who wants to apply or needs to apply. Is there, is there basis for this is for um, storefront uh, businesses with uh, brick and mortar locations. For yes. Yes, so this is part of our year-round, ongoing, evergreen, um, accessibility, accessible barrier removal grant program, um, pending funding availability, um, funds coming from a state um, resource um, from the Disability Access Fund. And so we make it year-round as long as we have funds available. We really want to encourage businesses to take advantage um, where you can get reimbursed up to $10,000 for making your business more accessible. So all that information is online, but the short... Um, shortened URL is sf.gov slash ADA grant. Um, also, uh, you may have seen emails or press around this. Um, the city has launched an economic recovery website um, on sf.gov, and this is designed to um, share with you more transparently what the city's plans are for how it is that we're going to be recovering as a city. There's a lot of um, information focused on downtown and the economic core, mostly because um, it has been a driver of economic activity in the city, and it's um, been slower to recover compared to actually other neighborhoods. And so um, not to say that there is no focus on other neighborhoods. There's, there's definitely a lot of focus on our commercial corridors, but there has been focus attention, um, again, on our downtown areas because of, of 
the trends we're seeing and um, huge concern about the recovery. So on that webpage is also, um, there are some dashboards there, very interesting data points. Um, I know you all like data, so uh, encourage you to take a look and, and see some of the um, dashboards that um, OEWD um, and our city controller's office and others felt were important to share out with the public on a regular basis. Uh, and then lastly, we talked a lot about, you know, in all of our meetings, how important it is to do in-person outreach to businesses. And so we're continuing all of that with multiple merchant walks per week. So since our last meeting have been out at Noe Valley, Haight Street, Ocean Avenue, Fulmer Street, Irving Street, Lakeside Village, um, North Beach, Clement Street, Polk Street, Union Street, um, and also uh, participated in a working meeting in Hayes Valley with their Merchants Association. So. Um, always um, happy to go out there, and if you have, if there's a corridor with a pressing need, definitely let us know. We're happy to go out there. Otherwise, we'll just continue marching along in all of these corridors. So uh, that's it for my report, and happy to answer any questions. Uh, Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. Thank you, Director. Regarding the awnings, like how, how does it formulate? Like what department, who's like, you know what? I gotta go to Chinatown strike busting heads for awnings. Like <laughs> how does this start? Right. I'm really glad you asked the question because the complaints um, and the notices of violation actually did not originate with the department. It was actually as a result of complaints lodged by residents or oh. either a resident or multiple, I'm not sure. But um, okay. when, when there is a complaint, um, submitted to a department, the department is legally obligated to follow up. And so that is what happened. It wasn't a department going around to, because um, it, it is a complaint-based program. Thank for God, honest. thank God. Yeah. Then, then I ask, why all of a sudden? You know, we can't answer that because we don't know. <laughs> okay. We wish we had the answer to that. Um, okay. Yeah. And then um, second, the ADA. Is it possible, and I, I don't know, I'm just asking, is it possible to have our office come and maybe train some of the CBOs, like just a refresher, the current? I mean, it's been an amazing program. Regina's been amazing helping us, and, and just the more services we can get out there. And I think she also helps, like, drill into our small business. If you got sued once and paid but didn't correct the measures, you could still get sued. And, like, in my community, People think I paid the lawsuit is done, but they don't mitigate what got them sued in the first place. So it's been real impactful. And then, um, yes, we that? absolutely can do that. Yeah. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And then lastly, just thank you. Some of the merchants on ocean told me, Hey, I saw your, so y'all two are like the fantastic duo. Y'all hitting the block. <laughs> I appreciate it. It means a lot. You don't understand. Like when you did it in the mission, Kaya, they were so thrilled, like, they were just, it's just having that connect direct to our office outside of me, you know, and whomever, you know, we represent, it's, it, it really means a lot. I, I'm telling you, keep doing it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to my awesome team. We, we really love getting out there. It's so great to hear stuff on the ground Get versus just, you know, um, you know, emails or whatnot. It's, it's really helpful. Commissioner, uh, Vice President Zunas. Thank you. Yes, I also had a follow-up question about the awning um, regulation. How is this different than the one uh, Supervisor Catherine Stephanie edited in our code? I thought that ha had protections for 
for something similar. So the complaints that were lodged yeah. um, uh, through DBI is yeah. actually for awnings that were installed without permits. And so it, that legislation you're referring to did not quite address that. Um, so anytime you install something on your building or you make some interior change, you have to file permits. And so someone figured out which businesses didn't have permits on file. And so, um, so again, that's the nature of, of the series of complaints. So that wouldn't fall under the grandfathering that that, that legislation no. protected. Got Unfortunately it. Unfortunately not. Got it. Thank you. Um, any other comments? I think with the the um, notice of violations, it's also uh, some of the notice of violations have also been for um, like security gates, right? Which is oh, wow. in interesting time to uh, to <laughs> um, be dealing with that um, yeah for the role the security gates um, but if you recall uh, there was legislation that this commission reviewed um, from supervisor Safai to um, allow those that had existing gates uh, to continue to have them mm -hmm. so that was um, one way of addressing those um, I don't have any other questions. Oh, so is, and let's see. You want to call for public comment? Yes. What, is there public comment? Uh, there are no commenters in the room and no commenters on the phone. Hearing no further callers, public comment is closed. Uh, next item, please. Item seven, commissioner discussion and new business. This is a discussion item. Commissioner Ortiz Cartagena. See, because I get laptops, I'm very talkative, happy. <laughs> All you have to do, listen to me. Um, President Huey, really honor, really, I love it. Vice President, I love it, and for the record, I'm sitting here on the edge, not because I did something wrong or <laughs> staff set us up like this, but I still want to stay in this corner. I just, right. Um, I really want to address some of the stuff that's going on in my community. I was at a press conference earlier this week. An elderly person was attacked in broad daylight, vicious. Um, it has to stop. You know, and how does this fall on our purview? Because if people don't feel safe, they're not going to shop at our local corridors. Currently in the nonprofit I founded, we activate these dangerous areas and we invite people that moved out from the community and we do these huge, huge events on Friday evenings. Thanks to OWD in partnership with everybody. But it has to stop. You know, earlier today when Professor Shadri was doing her presentation, departments are just not doing their job. And it's not even our elected officials, it's not even our department heads, it's this mid-management that they operate these departments like their own fiefdoms. They don't care who the mayor is, who the supervisor is, because they've been through several administrations, and that's how they operate. It has to stop. You have to do your job. Even if you do 25% of your job, I'm not even asking you to like give it a Johnny effort, just half-ass it. That's all we need at this point. Because our city actually has the infrastructure, we have the departments, we have the legislation, 
but people are not doing their job and there's no accountability. And I don't know what the solution is for that, but safety, that's the whole reason we're in community, why we're in government, why we live in societies, cleanliness. These are just basic rights. When a 70 year old teacher gets attacked in broad daylight and there's no repercussion, there's no accountability. There's just, it just happens. That's crazy. You know, I grew up in the Mission District. I grew up on 24th Street. And yes, there was gang violence. But my grandma and babies were safe at whatever hour. That's not the case any longer. And we're the greatest city that's ever been with probably the biggest budget, <laughs> more than countries. And to not meet the just the minimum requirements for our small business quarters to properly function. You know, we had a business on our quarter that got bad Yelp reviews because it stunk outside. Not even what they're doing inside, because it stunk outside. And I've seen the 311 calls and the data, and DPW doesn't do anything. Not my job. It's like a Mac Dre song. Not my job. Yeah. But it is your job. So I'm just, I'm just fed up. And I think this commission, instead of seeing legislation from people that don't ever run a business, you know, we need to start leading the way and pushing our legislators to hold these departments accountable because the money's there. If you're not going to do your job, then, you know, you know, maybe D.A. Jenkins needs to see these dudes because they're robbing us for paychecks every eight hours. And I'm done with it, you know, so I'm, I'm just venting here, but we have to be more actionable at this commission and do something. And under this leadership, I think we could get some stuff done. And then on a more positive note, March 10th, Friday, from 6 to 10 p.m., we're celebrating Mexica New Year at the 24th Street Bar Plaza, talking about the events. We're taking over the plazas with permits, you know. <laughs> we're, we're, we're activating the space, family-friendly. There's going to be low riders, face painting. We always have a special surprise. The last two events, last event for Valentine's Day, we had swans. The event before that, we had light and reindeer. Okay. So we do it big. We do it big. There's going to be food, a lot of music on each plaza. We're going to get departments to power wash, and if they don't do it, we do it. You know, so it's going to be clean, safe. Bring your families out. All free festivities. Mexica New Year, March 10th from 6 to 10. Thank you. And good job, President. Thank you, Vice President Zizunas. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I just wanted to make a couple announcements for whoever is listening. Um, as the mention to the federal tax credits, we heard we heard earlier during Professor's speech um, that there is a deadline for the employee retention tax credit that's coming up for any small businesses that are finishing that up. Just FYI, and. Additionally, another federal update I can provide is the Small Business Administration has created a more streamlined portal and platform for paying your um, economic injury disaster loans called Manage Your Idle EIDL Loan. So um, you can check that out on the line because this is the time where a lot of people are trying to track down what they, they owe so it doesn't accrue anymore um, for payments for um, economic recovery loans from the federal government. And then the San Francisco Council of District Merchants Avenue Greenlight program is um, 
issued another supplemental grant opportunity for neighborhood uh, merchant organizations that's also having a due date in the beginning of next month so any corridor activations and, and stuff that has planned um, I would encourage merchant groups to look at the Avenue Greenlight funding and yeah I just wanted to give those updates and, and I, I guess also just because I've been in contact about um, more ADA lawsuits that are, are hitting our streets. So I think um, another reminder and echo the need for, for um, putting that information in front of as many small business organizations as we can right now since um, I think there's whatever um, protections we had, they might, um, there's more loopholes <laughs> that are being found. So. So, yeah, I just wanted to highlight the need to pay attention to, to ADA compliance again. That's it. Thank you. Uh, any other? Well, I guess I wanted to talk about um, a couple of things going on. Um, in Chinatown right now, I think there is, there just closed, I think, a, a hearing period about a towaway zone that was uh, temporary um, as part of their one California kind of express, uh, not the express, but the, the efficient, like increasing the efficiency of the one California. Um, the last remaining kind of block um, is now kind of up for discussion in terms of becoming um, permanent in its three to six uh, towaway period. So right now they they have like a morning towaway period that has been in place, and in the last I don't know year or so they've put in place a temporary zone um, between the hours of three to six. So you know this is just the last piece of this kind of transit plan that is going through, and the community is is. Uh, really activated right now around this one piece. And, um, you know, I've been talking to SFMTA about it. I've talked to the community about it. And, you know, a lot of the discussion is really about, like, um, you know, this one street, you know, causes challenges for people coming to these businesses midday, parking, having their cars towed. Many of the people visiting um, Chinatown are... Um, seniors or people escorting seniors to different um, appointments for groceries for different things as well as um, I think SF Travel had presented on Chinatown being like the fourth most visited um, you know place for San Francisco so you know I can see that this is one block that we're talking about but um, this brings about so many other larger issues when it comes to transit. And um, so I kind of wanted to bring it up to everybody here, you know, to kind of think about what are some of the things that, um, that you've experienced in your community so that we can kind of talk about them collectively because I don't think that this is the only time that this has happened, you know, where um, there were several things that happened. I think sometimes outreach you know, I know that there's 
a plan for outreach, but then there's a gap, right? It's kind of like our communities aren't mobilized right away over something. So a few months goes by and they don't hear anything and then all of a sudden somebody gets upset and the floodgates open. So that seems to be kind of the cadence for general outreach, especially with SFMTA projects. Um, you know, the other piece is what are, you know, recognizing what are some of these barriers, what's happening, you know, and I think I would like to kind of pose that to other communities who have gone through different transit issues as well, because I understand this is one block, but this is our opportunity to really talk about what outreach looks like, what does community, um, you know, community cultural kind of like transportation look like? Because like I said, you know, if you go to Chinatown at any time of the day, it's really a lot of adult children, and I'm gonna say like from the time that I could drive until now, I've been driving people around. <laughs> And I will be expected to drive my parents' places as they grow older. So if you look down the street, our, our cultural transportation you know, patterns are perhaps different than other areas where if I go drop off my son, I will see many moms on their bikes, on their e-bikes, you know, traveling with multiple children. That's a very different cadence. And so my question then is also to SFMTA, how do we parcel out differences in communities and preserve and allow communities to thrive as they are without blanketing them with decisions that are made for perhaps best another neighborhood. Um, and then that brings me to the issue of outreach, right? Like we have mobilized now over 700, I wanna say 750, but I'm gonna safely say over seven, 700 signatures from the Chinatown as well as the API community throughout the city. And these are people who go to Chinatown to buy their groceries, go see doctors. There's like over 400 social services in Chinatown alone. So there are people who are utilizing this neighborhood. So these are people who are going to the neighborhood, 700 of them, yet there will be a couple, a few people, I don't know how many numbers, you know, but a few people who will speak in favor of the transit lane in general, of making that more efficient. How do you balance those two things? Is that going to be weighed evenly? Is that going to be weighed correctly when we talk about what the feedback looked like? So those are some of the questions that I have for this particular project and for you know transportation going forward. And I think it speaks to also Commissioner Cartagena's uh, comments earlier. And, and can I just add, like, in the mission, the red lanes, they had a study, saves commuter two minutes. Again, somebody that never has been in the mission. Literally, I found out who the person was. It's a transplant. He's a, like a scientist in city planning. Doesn't even live here. Lives in, like, the peninsula or something. Um, doesn't understand the culture. One of our legacy business, Land and Brighter, right, is right on mission. Imagine bringing your once-in-a-lifetime quinceanera dress. You're not going to take an e-bike. You're not going to walk with this, right? Especially when it's a family monumental event. You're going to bring your generational family members. And what's the worst about it? Because they don't hit the commercial corridors. Those red lanes are always double parked. And the whole purpose of it mitigated because it never was executed properly. All it did was 
mess up our small businesses, and they never even saved the two minutes. And they literally said that in the report, we're gonna save commuters two minutes at the cost of a whole commercial quarter. And, and we have the data now, right? Our, our community has organized. That costs 60 vacant storefronts in the Mission Corridor. So to your point, like to your point, who is the person that called out that tollway? So who, who was like the brainchild and who approved it? That's the people, that's what I'm saying. Because obviously they've never walked your corridor. That's crazy, it's just crazy. Sure, Robert. I just have to say, yeah, about the mission, about the red zone. It's the craziest, craziest thing I've ever seen. It is just a big mistake in the urban planning department. Like, yeah. Tell me that person's name. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like the distinct neighborhoods in San Francisco are what make us such a unique city. And each of those neighborhoods has a specific cultural landscape and architectural landscape, and um, it, it should be respected, and each, each of those um, micro communities should be treated differently. It, there's gotta be some way under this one big umbrella to recognize and implement ways of moving through spaces based on cultural norms, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, well, San Francisco is, is, there's nothing normal about San Francisco. And I think it's the idea when people try to come in and try to make it something different than what it is. San Francisco needs to be true to what it is, and that is the diversity. And there are, and there's nothing wrong with subculture. It's kind of like the same thing, you know, when you talk about stereotype or those types of things, like, it, it, Stereotypes are just a description of what people typically do in that particular setting or culture or family or whatever. I'm okay with being black and like fried chicken. I'm not mad at that. that, that or, or eat watermelon. I'm not mad at that. My thing is, is when you limit me to only that. And so when you talk about, you know, the, the disparities, no, the, the idea that people can come in and make major decisions like that to interrupt the flow of the culture in that. Now that to me is a disparity. I think that is an injustice because it's judgmental. You assume that you know what's best for this community and you haven't talked to the people who live there, who drive there, who, who, who have their business there. That hasn't been taken into consideration. In my opinion, this is just my opinion, I have always felt like that was a form of violation. Whenever you come in and think that you can tell me something about how I live in my home. Or, you know, so when we talk about these things, and I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, that is a huge, um, that's a big uh, item to tackle. But I would definitely want to be a part of uh, that's that. That's that part of me. And when I was young, I used to beat up the bullies. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't like people that feels like they should force something on. So I want to be. I, I want. I don't know. I don't have an answer to it. All I know, it's not right. And I think it needs to be confronted. And I think it should be dealt with, without question. I think about when I think about the Third Street corridor. There's so many things <laughs> that that I can think about. Um, 
you know, when uh, right now, I think the biggest thing for uh, 9412 or the 3rd Street Corridor is we need to have a no tolerance for the violence and for people who are just able to walk around and think they can do whatever they want to do in these small businesses. I mean, they're being violent. Some of these people, they walk in. They ain't walking in my store, but I'm saying, you know, because <laughs> they already know. <laughs> but, I mean, it's just interesting how they pick and choose. And I'm talking about the violators. I'm not talking about they pick and choose what businesses they want to go in and attack. And I'm like, if they're that smart and strategic, then we should be that smart and st strategic and have some things implemented, whether we have more beats, may, what, whatever it's going to take. But... There can't be a continual t tolerance of people thinking that they can do whatever they want to do. There's, we're restricted to certain things when we're trying to achieve a certain goal, right? It's like we're trying to build something here. We're trying to create a new way of living on this corridor that's never been seen before on 3rd Street. Where we are, it's never been seen before. What makes you think you're going to come in here and just try to bully <coughs> you know, these business owners that's getting up and trying to provide something for you. Come on, man. Like today, we had this man walking down the street. He had nothing but tidy whities on. And he was walking around, and it appeared to be feces on his face. And he's walking up and down the corridor. And nobody's doing nothing. And of course, nobody wants to interact with this man. Nobody does. But he's walking up and down, and then I see one police car, one police officer in the car just following him just driving alongside him and I'm thinking I hate to say it but if that was a black man or of any other race I don't understand why we would not have done something to stop this man from walking into a store with feces on his face and nothing but tidy whities on down the corridor what else is he doing he's not going in there for a latte in other words, oh, that was my little vent for the minute. But anyway, I'm in agreement with you with what you're saying, and I and and I'm just, I, I just I don't have a tolerance for that mindset, and so I, I absolutely think that there we need to be on some type of planning or gathering, whomever we need to gather, to see some changes in that area for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. Can I, like, I'll give you an example on 24th Street. My daughter, I think I shared, there was similar, but this person was naked. My daughter's seven years old, McDonald's. She didn't want to go to McDonald's. She don't even like coming down to our neighborhood unless it's activated with the events. She's so traumatized. Now, in my neighborhood where I grew up, right, because of what she saw in front of McDonald's, listen to this. She doesn't even want to go to McDonald's now, and it's not because... It's because she associates now McDonald's with that experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the bar plazas, there's a ton of stolen items being sold. Guess what? They just go to our local vendors, and the audacity come in, rob the store. Not rob, just walk out, and then sell it 30 feet away. But they will get you for some awnings. That, the, 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 that part. Like, I don't understand. So, 
I know, I know. This is, this is <laughs> it's only the first meeting, so you know we're on a good trajectory here. Um, speaking of the awnings, um, you know I went down to Chinatown to check out the SFMTA situation because really you have to be in the neighborhood to see what is happening. Like I, I want to share with the commission eventually. Um, maybe I'll share it with you, Carrie, and then you can send it to everybody. Like, but what the signage looks like in a in a parking area, there's like three signs upon, you know, one after another on like how you can park, when you can park, you can't double park, you can't do this at these times on these days. And I was like, you are in San Francisco trying to drive, trying to figure out how to parallel park, how to do whatever. How do you read three signs with, like you need a calendar, you need a calculator, you need, uh, you know, it's like, I was like, yeah, and why are the signs not bilingual? Like why are our parking signs, I can't even understand them Okay, now I'm fired up, but I'm like, I can't even understand them, and that's because I don't understand numbers and math, apparently, but if I couldn't understand it in English and I couldn't understand, like, why do we not have bilingual signage? But anyways, so, so I'm down there walking, and then um, we're talking about SFMTA, but then I end up getting there early, so then I end up talking to people about awnings, and then I start going, um, then somebody grabs me and is telling me about their ADA um, issue. And I started, you know, you get that feeling in your gut when you kind of know that there's something else going on kind of thing. Like you're like, it's, it's not just this, it's not just that. Like when she talked about, um, when this flower shop owner was telling me about the ADA issue, she was like, you know, in the 80s they put in this big post in between like where her front door is, so it really limits how big her door can be, right, because of um, seismic retrofit kind of issues. And I thought about our built environments and our infrastructure that we have in our built environments and how Chinatown, not unlike many other neighborhoods in our city, were places that, you know, weren't really meant to still be here, right? Like, for decades, for a century, for however long, these have been neighborhoods that have been um, legislated against, you know, and um, unwanted. And somehow our neighborhoods and our communities have persisted over these years. I mean, we champion it now and say, wow, what a resilient place, right? What a resilient um, community. But, you know, that resilience is built because of uh, barriers and challenge. So. Like I think about that, and I think, and I was thinking about how so many of these built environments were really, you know, we had to self-fund these kind of like piece together our neighborhoods again after the earthquake. We had to piece together these neighborhoods again after imminent domain decisions, after all these kind of things. So the fact that we cannot come into compliance today perhaps is not entirely our fault not to absolve ourselves of any sort of responsibility as business owners and property owners and, and all these different things. But I think you know, what I would like to see or consider is some acknowledgement that there have been decisions made historically that have disenfranchised certain neighborhoods, certain communities that, um, that we now perhaps don't have a solution for, but we can at least acknowledge and understand and begin to have that conversation about where where we should go with this new knowledge, right? Because like one of the things that you were saying also about 
um, kind of like you know middle management and and frustration and and those things. I think about let's just say bureaucracy, right? Like those are decisions and decisions that have been made over many many years. It's not anybody, you know, it, it, not one person, but it's layers and layers of these laws that I think um, Vice President Zunas has been talking about for many many years now on this commission that have built upon you know, themselves. And the more we continue to uphold these pieces and come in every day and try to like do our job, we're continuing to uphold injustices and inequities that have disenfranchised our communities day in and day out. And now we're coming to a point where we're acknowledging that there's an opportunity to acknowledge the privilege, right? And acknowledge the the infrastructure that is now built and why that infrastructure looks the way it does. So I, I guess my question to the commission perhaps is, are we ready to, or is there an interest in just figuring out how we can acknowledge some of these issues that, you know, we can go on and pick pick out all these different things and keep having this conversation about this one little thing and move this legislation this way and that way. But if we don't even have an acknowledgement of the institutionalized inequities that we face in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our small business community even, I think it's where, you know, what is that work of the, of the small business equity subcommittee that we've been working on, where do we go from here is kind of. Oh, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I think it's, I think it's a worthy cause, of course, but where do you start because it's so huge, and my favorite sentence is, it's not a linear equation, it's gotta be approached from multiple sides and multiple layers, and you know, a lot of people that have bureaucratic jobs have bureaucratic jobs because they don't wanna think outside the box. They wanna follow these very, sometimes rules that make no sense, but that's, you know, and, and everyone is, the humans are what make up all of these departments. So the guy that did the red zones in, on mission, you know, like who knows why he talked everybody into doing that. But, you know, it's like it's so complicated. Mm -hmm. But I, I, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try. That's my point. That's all I have to say. Vice President? Yeah, no, I thank you for, for giving us that that purpose and goal to chase kind of set the tone for our commission and the year. President Huey, I really appreciate that. I think um, what it's gonna take and what I've figured out somewhat is we have to do the legwork ourselves and, and tap into the policy body part of us. And um, I think we have a precedent on this commission for doing the research and proposing a, a white paper to whether it's an agency, you know, figuring out whether it's an agency fix, interagency fix, or whether we'll need a legislative partner um, like a, a supervisor to change some of these outdated codes. Um, 
we've been pushing that as a body, the code cleanup stuff for years. I think supervisors have caught on to it. You know, we had big, big code cleanup legislations that have come to us at different points in time, getting rid of permits, like a permit for a cannon, you know, was still on our books at, at one point. <laughs> right, so I think we're, we're getting there, but that's not the sexy stuff that the, the politicians want in the headlines. So it's on us to, to do the code cleanup. And I think that, that is the institutional, uh, you know, disadvantaged place that most of our small businesses are coming from, is that they're dealing with compounded um, codes that they have to subscribe to that maybe are duplicate or outdated or um, are not, you know, should have some kind of mitigation because of something that the city made them do, like a seismic retrofit. I mean, we, we have so many businesses that are, we don't talk about the impact of the seismic retrofit, but that's a huge one, and the city didn't provide any support, you know, for, for, for mitigating stuff like that. So I, I think maybe we need to do some of the, the auditing stuff that our, our, our city's kind of looking at right now. I mean, I, I think the Bicycle Coalition still gets MTA money. Um, they had a letter a few years ago or saying they need to work on their equity. So you're wondering who are the proponents for a lot of these pro-transit policies. We need to talk to the people that are those proponents and say, okay, you said you need to provide, you know, be more equitable, more, more diverse. How are you supporting merchant corridors that will be decimated by bike lanes? You know, like, how are you understanding that compromise? So I think, yeah, we're gonna have to ask the hard questions and do some of the legwork, um, but I, you have my commitment to support you in that. And thank you for, for, for the rallying call. Commissioner Ortiz, Cartania. I wanna just add to Commissioner Suzunia, absolutely, and we support you, and you're right, it, it's a huge problem, and in our lifetime, we won't solve it, but our grandkids, might enjoy the fruits of this labor and enjoy the shade of the tree we plant today, right? And I think it's just, it's like alcoholism almost, right? If you don't admit you have a problem, you're never gonna get the solution and the cure. So I think that what you propose is just the acknowledgement of this institutionalized racism, right? That, that we all, like you said, all we do is suggest Band-Aid fixes for this foundation that was built way, and it's nobody's fault because they're all human. But if we at least acknowledge it and we're seeing it through a lens and not some like, you know, show and pony like, oh, we're equity now and all this, this word equity now. I hate it in the sense that it's just a box. I did the equity. I did the equity. We need true like partnership and civic engagement, right? Because we're so diverse. So I'm with you and I support you. And just even if we start with some acknowledgement, mm -hmm. that, that's low-hanging fruit. I, well, I think it is. Who knows, right? We'll see. But that would be a great way to start. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for um, for helping me through this first meeting. And, um, yeah, I look forward to working with all of you. This was your first meeting? Like, we, we need to take public as president. <laughs> as, wow. This is my first meeting as president. The revolution on the first day of the job. <laughs> Love it. Um, is there any public comment? None in the room. 
our WebEx is down, so there's nobody on the line. Okay, well, hearing no further callers, public comment is closed. And um, next item. Sorry. Item 8, adjournment, SFGovTV. Please show the Office of Small Business slide. We will end with a reminder that the Small Business Commission is the official public forum to voice your opinions and concerns about policies that affect the economic vitality of small businesses in San Francisco and that the Office of Small Business is the best place to get answers about doing business in San Francisco during the local emergency. If you need assistance with small business matters, continue to reach out to the Office of Small Business. And meeting is adjourned. Hit it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>